This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Bruce Boys, a consultant and the director of Real KM Magazine, to talk about what's next for knowledge management. Welcome to the podcast, Bruce. Thank you very much. Uh, very glad to participate. So I reckon you'll have some really interesting takes on the future of knowledge management, given that your background and areas of expertise are quite a bit different from most other KM people. So I guess the best way to kick this off is to have you give our listeners a, a little introduction to who Bruce Boys is. So could you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey with knowledge management? Sure. Um, well, uh, just to, I guess, begin with the current time, uh, I'm currently the editor, lead writer, and one of the directors of Real KM Magazine, which has now been in operation for just over six years. And Real KM Magazine was established with the purpose of bringing the findings of knowledge management research to uh, knowledge management practitioners and also the um, just managers generally across organizations. Um, so uh, through that, that particular role, uh, I've gained a very good understanding of, of the current uh, body of um, knowledge management knowledge, if you like. Um, but before that, uh, my career has been quite diverse, but primarily it's been in, in the environmental management and sustainability um, fields. And the uh, environmental management field needs to draw on diverse knowledge. It needs to draw on ecological knowledge. It needs to draw on economic knowledge. It needs to draw on the knowledge of the people who actually own or manage um, the land on which natural resources uh, are located or the businesses that are using environmental resources and, and then uh, producing things and then creating pollution uh, as a part of their processes. So um, for environmental management to work, it has to involve a lot of diverse knowledge and bring that together. And often that, that uh, knowledge is actually quite conflicting. Mm. Um, so for example, you'll have uh, uh, ecologists who will say, well, we, we shouldn't touch uh, natural resources at all. We should just leave them alone and, and they'll live happily ever after. But on the other hand, people need to have livelihoods and incomes and uh, and be able to have lives for their families. So we need to exploit natural resources to a certain degree. Um, so there's a balance that has to be struck and that can be exceptionally challenging. Um, so uh, the work that I've done um, started uh, actually, well, uh, yeah, I'll give my age away now, but started <laughs> more than a couple of decades ago. Um, and it actually involved uh, or started out with heritage conservation. And I was just fortunate to be lucky enough to be involved in a local government program uh, as part of an advisory committee on a heritage conservation program that remarkably drew on such a wide diversity of knowledge and worked through that diversity of knowledge that it introduced a heritage conservation that, that uh, a program that covered a large number of properties throughout the particular city and nobody objected because by using the diverse knowledge that we had and coming up with innovative approaches to deal with that complexity we came up with a program that 
actually covered off all bases. It protected the heritage and actually allowed people to make an income from those properties through allowing them greater land use rights over those properties. So that gave me a real inkling in how to use diverse knowledge, bring it together and uh, work through the complexity and come up with solutions that everybody could be happy with. So having experienced it, I then went on to uh, a conservation career because of the interest in the environment. I guess it sort of started with a family that was into bushwalking and things like that. When I was young, that sort of led me into conservation. And I applied that um, approach to using multiple sources of knowledge um, to uh, work through a lot of very complex natural resource management problems where there were some immensely conflicting um, ideas. And in fact, uh, people almost violently opposed to each other's ideas, but actually bringing all that knowledge together uh, and working through it. And I also uh, used the best available ecological knowledge, science. Um, so from a very early point in my career, I was working with research evidence and uh, realizing the importance of actually not just doing what we think might be a good thing, but actually looking at the mm -hmm. research and not just ecological research, but also social research as well about how to how to work with people and their knowledge. So, uh, so I guess that's where it all started. Uh, and that really got me very interested in in knowledge management as an actual focus. So uh, ever since then, I've had a, a very strong interest in knowledge management and, yeah, um, tried to uh, use it and work with it as much as possible in both environmental management and, and beyond. So, yeah. Absolutely. That is super interesting and uh, love that success story with the heritage sites. I love, I have a personal passion for KM, uh, finding its way into anything sort of government municipality directed. It's all the stuff you can touch and feel every day that shapes everyone's lives. And when you see KM making an impact there, I think that's just super cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, now I kind of want to zoom out a little bit and ask you about uh, what trends you think will have uh, the biggest impact on KM kind of in the near term. What do you think is shaping the future of KM right now? Uh, well, I guess one, I one is the trend that we're trying to set through LKM magazine, which is the use of uh, research evidence in knowledge management. And a lot of knowledge management is or has been based on what people think is the most appropriate way to do things. And some of that's based on considerable professional expertise. And that's an important aspect of, of evidence-based knowledge management. But some of that, uh, that um, you know, what people think is a good idea is based on opinions that actually don't have a sound basis in what really mm. works. Um, and if knowledge management is going to be adopted seriously uh, and widely, then we need to be able to demonstrate that the techniques, the processes and approaches we use are actually founded in good, solid science that actually rigorously um, tests hypotheses for, for what might work uh, and then draws conclusions about whether the hypothesis was supported or not. Um, so I think a, a trend needs to be and is becoming the use of uh, research evidence in knowledge management. Uh, and interestingly, um, 
the knowledge management for development community has also been doing a lot uh, on research-based KM or evidence-based KM, um, and they're doing some pretty uh, important and impressive things in that regard too. So, uh, and, and actually they, they were a founder of that um, many years ago with starting the Knowledge Management for Development Journal. So, so they actually pioneered it. We, we sort of came later, um, but we'd been joining up with them to, to progress that. So, so yeah, I think uh, evidence-based or research-based uh, knowledge management needs to be important. So, so when knowledge managers are making decisions, they just don't sort of go, well, I think this might work based on what we did over there. They actually, um, go into the research base and, and we've compiled a lot of material on the real came uh, website where they can go in and read articles uh, that we've uh, written to summarize the evidence base um, so that would be a good place to start um, there's also organizational data that can be used um, expert knowledge so there's a number of different evidence sources as well as academic research but but to actually do that research so that's one um, another, uh, I think, significant trend is um, that uh, we need to recognise that knowledge management is broader than just organisational knowledge management. And um, interestingly, uh, Alexander Serenko, who's a fairly prominent knowledge management researcher, recently carried out an analysis on um, the future trends of knowledge management research, and he recommended that um, KM start to consider itself as not a, just a single discipline, but more than one disciplines uh, under a, a, a bigger umbrella. Um, so, you know, as well as organisational manage, knowledge management, we have knowledge management for development. And I think there's a couple of others that we need to consider. And one of those is societal knowledge management. And that's where we get into, you know, things like government and um, uh, politics, even about how um, you know, often politicians make uh, decisions that are not evidence-based um, or based on the best available knowledge. So, so knowledge management, I think, um, needs to um, spread from organisations um, to to go beyond that. Um, and another, I think, key aspect is that. A lot of what we uh, do in knowledge management, our processes, practices, techniques have been developed in a small part of the world. And actually, another piece of knowledge management research looked at all the knowledge ma management research that's been conducted um, uh, across the world uh, and found that um, the overwhelming majority of that knowledge management research emanated from the United States, Canada, Europe, and a little bit from uh, other Western countries like Australia. Um, and that leaves a whole vast part of the world, such as Africa, Asia, and South America, where people have been doing things with knowledge for a very long time uh, and actually have developed processes that are different. And uh, what I found from from living in China uh, for quite a number of years over the past decade, is that some of these processes are actually more effective than what we're using now. Um, for example, um, uh, a lessons learned process that I came across in, in China that's far more responsive and rapidly responsive 
than the lessons learned approach that we've been using um, as one of our standard knowledge management tools here. So, so I think another trend will be realizing that knowledge management as we know it has been developed in a relatively small part of the world. And there's a lot of learning that we can do from the rest of the world about other ways of doing things from other cultures. So I think that's another very significant uh, trend that will have a big impact. And again, the knowledge management for development communities doing a lot to pioneer that. So, yeah. Awesome. I, uh, I got to say, I like the way you think, Bruce. Um, <laughs> I've been doing a couple oh, of these you. interviews and uh, these are three trends that no one else has pointed to and they're all enormous. Um, yes. And so I, instead of uh, kind of switching paths with the biggest priorities, I wonder if we could turn these into, um, you know, a discussion about priorities. So if, if KM teams kind of, they think that this is all going to come to pass and they want it to, what are their next steps to kind of do these things such as uh, looking beyond the internal world for, you know, in terms of knowledge, what knowledge means using something that's more, a little bit more data-based, um, shifting the locus of KM research um, beyond a single discipline and uh, around the world. In fact, these are all really big and exciting things. So if KM teams want to get in on this, what are, what are their next steps? Mm. Well, I guess you know, for, a, for a KM team working in an organization, it could be quite easy to be quite overwhelmed by um, some of the things I've just been talking about, sort of saying, well, you know, this is very big picture stuff. How do we actually apply that in our organization? And, and indeed, that's a, you know, that's a, a very valid question. Um, um, so I guess um, for, for the uh, for the bigger picture knowledge management situation, um, those working in uh, global networks and so on actually need to be um, you know, setting some of these trends and actually establishing the infrastructure and the frameworks for them to, to happen so that uh, people at the ground, grassroots level within teams can access what they need from the big picture far more readily. But there are things that, that teams can, can be doing now. Um, and one of those is certainly to be looking at the research base when they make their decisions. So, um, so when they're sitting down and, and working out what they think their KM and priorities and activities will be um, for the time ahead uh, is actually, uh, for example, uh, doing a literature review um, before they actually start to make their decisions or as part of their decision-making process. So instead of you know sitting in a room and getting on the whiteboard and, and starting to write out what the priorities might be, is actually tasking one of the team members to do a mm -hmm. literature review and search out um, both um, external research from uh, academic researchers uh, in the, the academic research base, uh, and also to, to research um, the company's own databases. Um, and it's quite surprising how often companies will do things without having a full awareness of what the company is doing right across the board. Um, and also to look at similar organizations and other companies and what they have been doing uh, and, and how that could be applied as well. So, so that's a very tangible step is to actually do a relevant literature review on, 
on the directions that um, the team might be considering. Um, and then once that literature review has been conducted, to actually um, you know, conduct a, a session where the team reviews that and considers how it can apply that as part of its knowledge management approach. So that's that's a very straightforward and tangible thing that a, that a team could do. Um, and uh, as part of that, to to step outside the square a bit and to um, to network as much as possible too, and just ask, um, for example, in um, some of our existing KM networks, like the Knowledge Management for Development Network, about what people in other cultures and other countries have done in similar circumstances, mm. and um, to actually unearth some of that and. and uh, some of the things that we've had in Real Came magazine of late, you know, for example, um, experiences in Bangladesh on uh, how they managed um, COVID-19 and how they responded to um, community needs in that regard. Um, and it was an incredibly impressive and well-coordinated program. So, you know, there, there's a lot that can be learned that way as well. So, um, yeah, so, so sort of asking those specific questions in networks. So, you know, rather than just asking the question of, you know, does anyone know anything about blah, but saying, you know, does anyone in a different mm. culture or a different country have a different way of doing this that we could consider? So, yeah, so that, there's just a couple of, a couple of ways that teams can actually um, do this. So, so yeah, evidence-based KM, I, I would say, is the biggest priority, and there's some ways to, to begin on it. Absolutely. I love that. I, I love this idea of, of, of also of going out into, into those networks and specifically asking for those insights from um, folks in other cultures and countries, because a lot of times KM teams are serving a culturally mm -hmm. diverse population, although they may be located in the U.S. or the U.K. or what have you. Um, so that's really something that we should be do have perhaps been doing already. Uh, so I think it's a huge point. I really like that. Um, but next, I'd like to turn to um, the relationship between KM and sustainability. I think you're probably one of the best equipped people to uh, speak about this. And we've been hearing a bit about it on our end as well, folks wanting to see how uh, KM relates to both environmental sustainability, um, what you might call like process or business sustainability, but then also um, sort of the more social element with things like diversity and equity and inclusion. So how do you see the relationship between KM and sustainability? Mm. Well, I think uh, each can inform the other. Um, but first of all, to look at the things that they have in common, um, they're both dealing with a, with a resource. Um, so sustainability is dealing with um, natural resources and, and uh, um, it's trying to use those natural resources in a way that, um, on the one hand, exploits them. I mean, exploit sounds a bit of a sort of nasty word, but, you know, maybe just use them <laughs> might be might be a little sort of less harsh. But um, so we, we use natural resources and we have to use natural resources as uh, as humans. That's that's what we do. But we need to use them in a way that um, means that we're we're not um, we're not using them beyond their capability to um, either persist or regenerate into the future. So we have to use them in a way that is um, careful and and in a way that 
um, means we're understanding as much as we possibly can about those resources. So we need to uh, carry out research to understand um, you know, our biodiversity or um, our uh, you know, climate change uh, issues. Um, so we need to research the science thoroughly and then we need to use that science to actually make um, informed decisions. Um, but we also need to use, to work with the, the people who are actually going to be using the resources um, and involve them in the decision makings. And that uh, is the work that I've been primarily doing within environmental management, is working with those diverse groups of safe stakeholders from scientists on the one hand to the users of knowledge on the other. Um, and that's where the parallels come in with knowledge management in that um, knowledge is a resource. We need to use it in a way that we are not wasting it. We're using it productively. We're using the, the best available knowledge. Um, so we're, we're not just, you know, um, mowing down trees just because we might want to make some, some wood chips to burn in our fires or, you know, something very simple. We're actually using knowledge for, for its best possible um, uh, purpose. Um, and, you know, uh, people in an organisation have finite time um, to be able to, to do their work. Um, so they need to be able to hone in on the knowledge that's going to be most useful to them and most productive to them. Same as we need to hone in on the natural resources that we, you know, we, uh, are for our greatest possible need and, and use those. And we also need to use our knowledge in a way that we're not wasting people's time doing KM activities mm. that are not going to productively benefit them. Again, we, we do that with our natural resources. And vitally importantly, we need to work with the people who are going to use that knowledge or use those natural resources and actually um, draw their knowledge back into the process about how they think we should do things so that it's most effective. Mm. So I think there's a lot of parallels there um, within uh, knowledge management uh, or within natural resource management or environmental management. We've been doing this for quite some time um, and we've come up with some pretty effective approaches but then there's still a lot of learning that we can do um, and knowledge management can come back the other way and, and is to actually help us with better processes for uh, learning our lessons and, and so on. So um, there's a lot of overlap between the two um, and I think um, each can contribute processes and techniques and tools for, for how to work with and, and use knowledge. So knowledge management um, has, has a lot of specialty expertise in organizational knowledge management um, and sustainability has a lot of expertise in how to use diverse arrays of stakeholder knowledge. So um, yeah, drawing those two learnings together, I think is extremely valuable. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's going to be very thought provoking for a lot of our listeners, um, that parallel. I think there's so much you can do with that. So given, given all that we've talked about thus far and, and all of the other ideas I'm sure you have swirling around in your head, I wanted to close out by asking you where you think KM will be in the next five, 10 years. Will it even be called KM? 
Well, I think it will. And, and yeah, that, that question always arises from time right. to time. You know, is, is KM dead or dying or something? I, I really don't think it is. I think it's actually becoming even stronger than it always has been. Um, uh, and um, even though um, knowledge management is hard to define, there's multiple definitions to it, um, that's fine. Um, you know, there's multiple definitions to sustainability too, but it doesn't stop us doing it. Um, mm. We just have to acknowledge that with anything that um, operates in a complex environment or complex situation, there will be multiple definitions and therefore there needs to be multiple approaches to dealing with things using multiple sources of knowledge. So, so knowledge management really reinforces its, itself. So, so I think we, we, we shouldn't get hung up on definitions of KM or its viability or you know, its, its predicted death by some people. <laughs> uh, I think KM will, will exist persist and thrive into the future. Um, where it will be in the next five or 10 years, I think uh, it will become more evidence-based. Um, so I think that trend will continue and, and it will start to move into a science-based uh, discipline. Uh, and interestingly, HR has actually been uh, heading in that direction for some time, as has management generally, um, you know, through... Uh, uh, fairly substantial global initiatives. Um, so HR in particular in the past few years has really uh, have taken on a strong uh, evidence-based uh, foundation. So I think uh, evidence-based KM uh, will uh, be a very big thing within the next five to 10 years. And I think also um, another big thing will be that um, we will have stronger global networks, I think. Um, the Knowledge Management Global Network, or KMGN, um, is starting to, to build and develop. And I think we'll see uh, it become quite a very strong network across a lot of other networks across the globe. So I think there'll be uh, a lot stronger global networking. And I think there'll also be um, a greater emergence of knowledge management in what we call the global south or um, the non-developed or lesser developed part of the world. Um, and we will actually move from um, believing that we should be taking KM to those countries to realising that um, those areas have had worked with knowledge often for, for thousands of years and actually have a lot to offer us in the global north in, in countries like Australia and the US uh, and Europe. Um, so that'll be, I think, another you know, significant thing that will emerge over the next five to 10 years is a, is a realisation that knowledge management, um, that knowledge about knowledge management is far broader and more diverse than what we think it is at the moment. So I think that's that's another big um, thing that we'll see, yeah. Awesome, a uh, quick follow-up for you on that. And this may be a bit of a, a chicken and egg question, but um, at least uh, in my part of the world, KM is not highly represented in higher ed. Um, I don't know mm. what, what the situation is in Australia, but do you see that, uh, first of all, is that also the case in your part of the world? And then secondly, do you see that as a barrier to this progress towards evidence-based KM and potentially, you know, the dissemination of um, the discipline across the, the globe? Yeah, uh, and interestingly in Australia, um, there's been a number of knowledge management courses at 
university level that have actually disappeared. Um, so uh, I'm not aware, aware of any sort of statistical analysis of the, the number of courses uh, that, that uh, were around say 10 years ago and what's around now, but it appears that um, things are actually in a little bit of a decline, um, which is a, a big concern. So, so yes, I think we need to have a focus on knowledge management education. Um, and I think it, it's, um, you know, uh, we've actually got to look at why universities are, are not running courses um, and, and actually try and get to the heart of the, of the cause of that. Um, one thing that's been suggested uh, in um, the knowledge management research itself is that the connection between KM practice and KM research isn't strong. Mm. So KM research has tended to be its own world and KM practice has tended to be its own world. So um, universities have been doing knowledge management research, but not knowledge management teaching. So mm. if we're going to change that, it's actually knowledge management practice, I think, that needs to take the lead and start using that research evidence and then the researchers are going to start seeing that evidence being used and applied. And then we can start actually establishing relationships. And um, the KM for Dev community is just set up a, a research group within the KM for Dev network that's actually going to focus on KM research. So, so that's a really good uh, example um, of, a, of a KM network saying, well, okay, we're going to make research part of our practice focus by setting up within our practice group, a research group. Um, and I think other KM networks, if they did the same, then that's when we can start mm -hmm. to see some progress on that. Um, because uh, for example, Alexander Serenko, um, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the very notable KM researchers and um, it, it's easy to see that he's actually observing KM practice and reflecting that in his research. And it would be really good for KM practitioners to actually reach out to people like uh, Alexander Serenko, who is a, um, you know, he's, he's one of the very prominent KM researchers and actually, you know, invite him along um, to events, networks and so on. Um, so yeah, um, KM practice starting to reach out um, to those um, expert researchers and starting to involve them and, and work with them. Yeah. Awesome. I really like that. A hopeful outlook for sure. Um, <laughs> and, and I think yeah, we have it a is lot possible. to Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Bruce. Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's very good. So if folks want to learn more about your work, they can visit Bruce Boys, that's B-O-Y-E-S dot info. Anything else you'd like to point folks to? Uh, yeah, certainly the Real KM um, website, which is R-E-A-L-K-M dot com, um, or just search for Real KM magazine and it'll, yeah, Google will head you in the right direction. So, uh, and yeah, people can find a, a, a vast and growing array of uh of uh, knowledge management research summary information there. So, Absolutely. Definitely get in there, listeners. Well, once again, I'm Mercy Harper. Thanks for listening to this APQC podcast. Please visit apqc.org to learn more about our research, and we hope you'll have a great rest of your day.